live. It is Thirsty Smurfing Thursday. How's everybody doing? It's funny, JP. You cut to the three-second countdown, and I completely forgot what we were doing that quick. Uh, all those supplements I'm taking are 100% not helping with short-term memory. Clearly, as I forgot <laughs> that. Uh, how is everybody doing? Welcome to another episode. We are. What are we doing tonight? I don't even know. I probably should have asked this in the community questions. Last 45 minutes that we've been doing this. Great. We are doing community questions. Uh, for those of you that have not ever tuned in for one of these episodes, this is going to be like one of the one of the old school uh, uh, lawn care live help desk kind of things, right? So a few things that you can do. You can write us in at mail at thegrassfactor.tv. You can go to thegrassfactor.tv and submit it on the contact form. Or uh, you can just type it in the chat. And uh, Jay Pink will compile the questions as they come in and uh, and throw them over to the chat and us. Uh, we will take incoming questions for a set period of time. We don't know how long just yet. Um, and then at some point, we'll have to call it to finish answering all the questions. And then we can just uh, uh, figure out a time at which we are going in. Look, he's got a 45-minute timer on there. We will take questions for 45 minutes. It might take us an hour and a half to answer all of them. Um, the other thing is that we are going to take these first come, first serve. So bear with us. It might take a hot minute to get to your question. Uh, the other thing that, uh, it, uh, we, we want to get out there is that we are human. We are fallible. We make mistakes, uh, double and triple check everything that we say. Uh, again, we're doing this live and we've got questions coming in all over the place, right? We've got shit on. I literally have four monitors in front of me, right? I've got the guys right here. I have open community questions on this one. I have a, our private chat between us and the guys right here. And then over here. I've got Twitter going, so, you know, it is what it is. If you catch me looking up like this, this is me reading Twitter, and I'm not paying attention to whatever question came in. So uh, there you know, there's, there's my schedule. Um, anyway, I digress. We, we, we mess up. We may be thinking about something we're reading on this screen and uh, answering your question, and a Freudian slip may cause us to, to use the wrong word or put the wrong emphasis on the right syllable. Who knows? It just... Shit gets discombobulated sometimes. Double, triple check everything we say. Cosign, find someone else to cosign our bullshit. Um, and, uh, or even ask us at, at, a, at a later time to uh, clarify what we said. And we could probably, probably give it a little more individualized attention, especially if you're a member of our Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash burn and return. If you want to do that, you can hop over in our private Discord, hang out with a group of like minded individuals. Uh, there is a prereq though. We require people to submit uh, an IQ test prior to signing up. Uh, so if you think you can pass that, uh, then uh, then of course we'll let you in. I'm full of shit uh, because uh, my my IQ is somewhere around room temperature. We'll call it we'll call it lukewarm at best. Uh, so you know, hey, look, 77. You're good enough. We got room for you. You're gonna be okay for the cost of an airport beer too. We'll get in there. Actually, probably half the price of an airport beer. So. It is what it is. Uh, real quick, before we start answering these, uh, Demay, Ray, how, how the hell are y'all doing, boys? Let's check, <laughs> let's check the stress meter here for today. What, what are we at on the stress meter? Mine was low. Uh, uh, let me see if it, I got to get to where it tells me this. Uh, oh, hang on. I have my Bluetooth disconnected. It's going to have to calculate. We'll get back to that. I'll update the numbers here soon. <laughs> Uh, I, I I basically ignore it because uh, given my high my high pulse rate, me being awake freaks whoop out. Nothing I can do about that. Yeah, <clears throat> I think me, uh, me being awake. 
I mean, it's uh, <laughs> so I basically ignore you know, it. <laughs> you know what? Calm me down, though, Matt. And again, if you're not in our our Discord, you wouldn't you wouldn't know any of this taking place. But what comforts me is uh, high speed car chases, uh, driver, uh, God bless him, out there uh, gratifying old women, old elected officials, and uh, yeah, the question I asked to Eric Sands, who's in our Patreon earlier, of What's more athletic, wakeboarding or peeing with a boner into somebody's mouth? Because they're both water sports. Hmm. Ah, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> 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 I love it when I, I, I know I've hit the mark when I make Matt uncomfortable. I really do. Well, if I get Matt stressed yeah. or if I make Matt uncomfortable with a joke, I know I've hit the mark. You, 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 you got me there. I did not know what to say. I was trying my damnedest to be like, oh, yeah, just play it cool. And then the further I got along into it, I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't play it cool anymore. I got, <laughs> I got nothing. I got nothing. That's it. We raced it. Phoenix Longhair said, I entered the weird part of YouTube, Brian. Um, yeah, welcome. <laughs> welcome, Gerardo. Uh, we, we, in the Discord, I colloquially call this either the, uh, the stain in the underwear of internet lawn care or the armpit of internet lawn care. I've got a lot of, a lot of funny names that I use for it, but uh, without a doubt, that is, that is where we reside. Um, we make that, bad that jokes and we said, talk turf. Yeah, we, we do, without a doubt. Um, or we give a real concerted effort to, uh, to, make, to make fun of our brothers in Christ, uh, Driver and La Supernova, who I have an <laughs> uh, unreal <laughs> infatuation for because he has friends from Colombia, and I just I can't get over it. It is so fascinating to me that, uh, that he has friends from Colombia. I'm just so impressed. Okay. That, that's going to go sideways quickly. Let's check out our first question. This is actually going to be a submitted question from Grass Thief. Um, and uh, he, he has sent us pictures of the recovery of his Bermuda grass, which you know we had debated that he probably had some dollar spot move into it. And, uh, and so this is what we are left with. Um, now, here is the caveat, right, is that... Um, we're in late season, late daylight hours, right? Lower, lower daylight hours. So your rate of recovery at this time is going to be pretty slow. I'm looking at the lesions on the second picture there. Oh, no, guys. That's it, a little bit of lee spot. And yeah. I see something else. What I see something see? else. Grass Steve, please check your mower. Mm. And the reason why I'm asking mm. you to check your mower is because I see spraying and pinching of the cuts of the grass. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, this is this is how my eyes work. I have cataracts. I'm really nearsighted. However, if I kind of like move back and forth and focus, I can see this on grass. When the mower damages. The grass when it's uh, mowing it. And the other thing that I'm going to kind of uh, look at and think about, Matt, is that doesn't look like dollar spot to me either. That looks more like some kind of a leaf spot type of a it, condition. It does, and I was almost going to say, it? like, almost like it's fighting a gray leaf spot. But if we go to the last picture here, so let's take mm-hmm. a look at this. Uh, because the, the, the last one makes it, ooh, we have 
some uh, animal excrement in the uh, photo. Rabbit turds. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Rabbit the size of a Domino's pizza. <laughs> we could be dealing with some, uh, you know, chewy, chewy, rutting around uh, uh, kind of things going on, right? So, you know, oh, Grant, look, Grass Thief's in the chat right there. He's saying rabbits are eating it 24 7. Uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. So, that very well could be exactly what's going on, right? And, uh, okay, if there's here's the thing is that if you. If you go to any lawn in America and you take an up-close picture, like where we were talking about seeing leaf spot on that, chances are you're going to find some grass blades that have some perfection, uh, imperfection in it, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how pristine it is, what the time of year it is. If you dig in at that level of detail, you're going to find an imperfection. Doesn't mean you need to run, go grab a thing of Vizoxystrobin, drop a, a, a reverse mortgage to get more headway on the way. Um, you know, it, <laughs> a couple of imperfections like that is nothing to melt down and die about. Um, and, and again, when we talked to him last time, I'm, I'm going to toot our own horn here that we said, you know, hey, look, it looks like it ran its course. Wouldn't worry about it too much. Let it do its thing and see what happens. And then this time he manages to catch the fact that Roberts are... It, the Roberts rabbits are gnawing all over it. And look, he's saying that the frayed edges are actually the rabbits that are just fucking chomping on it. There we go. Oh, okay. good eyes, Ray. It, yeah. And, and you know what, grass Steve? if it is in fact rabbits eating, uh, I have a, uh, a remedy of sorts for that issue. And that remedy involves black pepper, uh, hot English mustard, and the hottest chili peppers you can get your hands on. There you go. Uh, a deterrent of deterrence there. If you could imagine being a little rabbit rooting around and uh, catching you a schnoz full of cayenne pepper or black pepper, uh, that would be a bad day. A little capsaicin to the brisane ain't good on Actually, that I'm, one. I'm, th- I'm thinking more of when I when I made this little mix the last time to keep uh, feral animals out of the roses, I used uh, Indian ghost chilies, Matt. Uh, <laughs> Ray chose violence today, and uh, and that and that's and that's okay. Sometimes sometimes you have to. Uh, our next one here is from Laura. It says, I'm not sure what this is, so attaching a video. I'm watching this myself for the first time. I put tricopier, and I swear I painted those green leaves with glyphosate. The grass died, but the weed grows on. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so unfortunately, that is uh, one of the one of the things is. A lot of times with glyphosate, it ain't a one and done. And if I'm, I'm guessing, I'm looking at this, that this is a Kentucky bluegrass with a fescue clump growing in it. Maybe that's a Kentucky 31 fescue clump. Um, Mm -hmm. Kentucky 31 is going to be a very hardy plant. Um, Put it this way. You can get away with blanket spraying Kentucky 31 at a low rate of Roundup um, and use it as... A, a, as a weed control um 
who was it? Nasty Nate Alleman sent me uh, research the other day from Proceed where they were running four ounces per acre of glyphosate on tall fescue for the purpose of POA control and measuring the rate of damage on tall fescue, and it was very acceptable, right? Matt, um, I got to so, stop you right there. I got to yep, stop you right yep, there because glyphosate at that two to four ounce per acre rate is a labeled treatment for application to industrial turf and roadsides for the purposes of one, growth regulation, and two, weed control. It is a labeled application in actual practice. However, it is not normally brought into the space of application to fine turf or in landscape turf. It's normally a vegetation management type application. So I have, I've, I have heard of doing low-rate glyphosate. In fact, gee, uh, instead of string trimming areas, I will use low-rate glyphosate as a growth inhibitor and weed control. I'll do it. So this is not, like, earth-shattering to me. However, if somebody has Kentucky 31 or clumping fescue, unfortunately, what used to be labeled for selective control of that clumping fescue is completely off the market because it was such a dangerous product to apply. Right, Matt? And you remember it because that was called uh, Lesco TFC. Also known yeah, I, as Corsair. I'm trying to think of an acronym for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tall Fiscal Control. River, Riverdale Corsair. Yeah, mm -hmm. and in fact, Matt. Got a bottle I, out in the garage. No, in fact, I, I had a... I had, the, I had the opportunity to use some Riverdale Corsair, and I actually liked it. However, keep kept it far away from any kind of trees, shrubs, or hedges. Because yeah, I knew. Uh, <laughs> you, yeah, you got to do that. Uh, don't, don't make that mistake. Point, point being with all this, Lara, is that... Um, Tall, tall fescue is going to be more tolerant than you probably give it um, uh, attention for, uh, than, you, than you give it credit for, to glyphosate. That being said, also, when you paint the leaves, you know, I, if you have to paint the entirety of the leaf, right? So uh, tip to tip, right? So from, from the crown of the plant up to the tip. And I'm not saying you didn't do that, but I'm saying you may have missed three or four leaves. And that's why you're seeing regrowth from the leaves you missed. That, that being said, I, you know, there is still a real reality. Like I have made a lot of glyphosate applications to a tall fescue yard with the intent of killing it. And I do see a little bit of regrowth before it ends up finally dying. You might experience in this example, you may not. I don't know if it were me and, uh, and why you do have a little bit of time left, especially since glyphosate is going to be seed safe. Uh, I would go ahead and just paint the leaves again uh, and then, you know, get it, get out there the next morning, you know, scuff the surface a little bit, drop you your Kentucky bluegrass seed or your, you know, whatever tall fescue seed you want to go back and place with. Cause I'm fairly certain that's Kentucky 31 and, uh, and then you'll be, you'll be good to go, you know, and uh, you Matt, got, you got, I see one more thing. About. I see What's one that? more thing. 
you know when people make paint on applications of glyphosate? Mm-hmm. Here's the mistake. They make that paint on application with the same concentration that they normally use for spot spraying. Uh-huh. You, cannot, you cannot do that. You really cannot do that because I know whenever I make one of those targeted, selective, paint-on or wipe-on type applications, I'm following the instructions for a wick or wiper type application. And you know what they tell you to do? Make up one part of glyphosate concentrate to three parts of water, and then you use that solution to just directly apply two individual weeds via some kind of a brush or wiper type applicator, you know, application device. Because, you know, when you make like a 1% solution and then you just try to paint weed leaves with that 1% solution, that really isn't applying enough to kill it. Because, you know, Matt, I've done wipe-on applications with that Ultra concentrated uh, one part to three part water glyphosate, and I've destroyed grassy weeds that were literally like five feet tall, just passing it over, you know, in two directions and then coming back to it two weeks later. The thing is crispy, it's gone. So I suspect that that looks to me like like that that didn't get enough, it honestly didn't get Uh, enough, I don't think. If you're doing the math on that, one part uh, glyphosate to three parts water, that's, that's a 25% solution, right? So, um, again, you know, we're, we're, not, we're, not, we're not talking about, you know, two ounces in a gallon, dip your paintbrush in it, and, and wipe it on the leaves. Kind no. Of <laughs> no. Uh, Looney, our Canadian friend up north, uh, what's up, bud? Uh, it says, there is a new fertilizer coating plant that is open in Canada this week, which states they're using Purcell's next-generation control release fertilizer. Anyone know what the new coating is? Yes, it is not a new coating. <laughs> okay, so um, this is a, uh, uh, an, uh, an epoxy, uh, and, and it is, it's a, it's a two-part. All right, they have two, right? They have uh, one that is going to also include a wax that would be more akin to like an Osmocote or surf coat. Um, and then they have another, which is just a polymer, uh, a true polymer catalyst reaction on the granule itself. Um, and if I recall correctly, Purcell's latest one is going to be in that epoxy space, right? So typically what you do is you take your, your urea base, uh, you use some sort of polyol, uh, as like a, an initial coating, right? And then you spray in some sort of catalyst reaction, uh, coat it, and then you continue to layer it on until you reach your duration level you're looking for, right? So we'll say like two coats is going to give you 45 days. Uh, four coats is going to give you 60 days. Six coats plus a sprinkle of, uh, of paraffin wax or whatever wax of choice you use is going to give you your 120 day, right? Um, so that is is what that is, and they're just licensing uh, probably the engineering from Purcell as well as the uh, the provider of the, uh, the 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 coatings, right? And you got to think these these polymer producers are going to come from frankly two places, uh, either Dow Dupont or 
uh, BASF, right? And that's yeah, that's pretty much the only two that you're going to find that are going to provide OMET scale for this industry, right? In the past, you saw more polyvinyl um, that was used, you know, so PVC, you know, that that kind of plastic. Um, but, you know, of course, looking for cheaper and cheaper polymers that are going to give you the same level of hardness, flowability, shelf stability, uh, diffusion rate, all that fun stuff, right? And um, if I recall, if I was just loony. If you scroll up in Dirty Deeds, I was just talking. I think I, I think I actually put the patent from Purcell in Dirty Deeds. Uh, that is their latest patent that they are licensing to this ca- uh, Canadian uh, uh, slow-release coating facility. There's not a ton of them, and you've got Purcell that does it. You've got Harrell's that does it. You have Coke that does it, and that's right. They're all in the same vicinity, uh, actually on the same park, same uh, 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 corporate campus in Sylacauga, Alabama. Uh, they are all right there on the same spot, same rail spur. I mean, literally lined up right next to each other. Uh, so you know, you can see that you know basically they're you know taking one rail load. It, Keep logistics low, right? You know, they're basically partnering on all that. Um, then you have Knox uh, Fertilizer Company up in Knox, Indiana, uh, that does it as well. Um, and uh, and I want to say Knox actually does a lot of work for like uh, Nutrien 2, if I recall correctly. I may have completely made that up, but, but a lot of like the ESN uh, stuff from Nutrien, which is going to be more on the ag space, is, is coming from uh, Knox as well. Uh, I believe that is going to be um, uh, in the, uh, in the, in the vinyl space, the PVC uh, space. So yeah, hope, hope that helps. I'm just doubled his dose of, uh, for seed. Brent said germination rates on a seed label factors, uh, grass factor. Uh, I don't, I, I don't, oh, germination rates on a seed label. So I'm, I guess he's talking about when you see like 85%, 90%, uh, germination rates. And if, I, what I'm, I'm I'm guessing here is that uh, you know if you have 85 percent, 17 out of 20 seeds is their guaranteed minimum of what will be, uh, what will germinate. Or am I am I smoking crack on that? That would be my guess. Say that again. Eight and a half out of ten. Uh, if it's an 85 percent, that would be eight and a half out of ten. So 17 out of 20, just to keep it. I don't think you're going to get a, a seed to half germinate. All right. Uh, let me pull up a seed tag here. Uh, I would say 85 is what I see most. Uh, uh, 90 is what I see most common, uh, unless it's like a weird cultivar that I might see like 85, something like that. Let's see here. We'll do this here. Hang on. Let me pull one in here. I should have been. You're all good. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, I got people. Here we go. All right. Germination percentage. Yeah. So germination percentage, the other thing that you need to consider too on this label is uh, pure live seed, right? So if we have 90% germination in this case, we've got 0.65% inert matter. Right, so one hundred. That's point zero six five percent. So that's going to be point six five. So we have ninety nine point three five percent 
pure life seed or pure seed in here. Okay. And if I multiply that times the 90% germination rate, okay, that means that 89.415% of this seed is actually live. So if you're doing a seed calculation, a lot of times you'll see seed expressed just as, you know, hey, uh, you know, tall fescue, eight pounds per thousand, right? And if you have a bag that tests at 85% instead of 90%, that could be a big difference in terms of, you know, just a few pounds, but it could be a few, you know, a few pounds difference on a per thousand or per acre basis, right? So if you want to seed correctly, use the pure live seed calculation. So again, whatever your numbers are down here for inert weed and uh, other crop, go ahead and subtract those from 100, multiply that number as a whole integer times your uh, uh, germination percentage, and that'll give you the amount of pure live seed, PLS, you'll see it abbreviated as, and that will give you a more accurate seed rate. There you go. Uh, and I will say right here, this this blend of seed you see with the Avenger, Firecracker, Spider LS, Raptors. Right? This is actually a great seed. I would I would spread see this. What is, see all what the title of the seed is? The best grass seed blend. I mean, yes. I'm not going <laughs> to argue with that. Uh, I, that is that is a badass blend of uh, some really top performers from Mountain View Seeds. I'll just say that. Dan the Lawman said, I love the three gents on the screen and the one behind the scenes. Shout out to you, Jace Link there. Uh, Jay Holly said, Zoysia, normal pH, low sulfur, should I care? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sulfur is, is the, the uh, second to nitrogen in terms of the most important in color response. Uh, so yes, uh, I yes. would absolutely say that's important. Now it is not as complex to raise your sulfur levels as you're going to think. That doesn't mean go apply elemental sulfur. That doesn't mean you, you got to go get sulfuric acid and make an application. If you apply a 15015 from urea and potassium sulfate, potassium sulfate sulfate being a soluble sulfur uh will raise your soil sulfate levels uh ferrous sulfate manganese sulfate zinc sulfate uh ammonium sulfate the if it ends in sulfate it will raise the sulfate levels of your soil you don't have to apply sulfur okay even though it's measuring your sulfur levels on your soil test, really what you're looking to apply is sulfate. Any sulfate fertilizer. And uh, if his pH is where it is, he's literally a good candidate to apply his nitrogen as ammonium sulfate. And here's, yep. you know, observationally talking about Zoysia grass and nitrogen mat. That is where I see zoysia reacting to being fertilized by urea. And you know when you fertilize zoysia with uh, urea, a lot of times that zoysia turns plasticky yellow. It's not a good look. Okay, it's not a very good look. I mean, on the other hand, you you throw it one-tenth to two-tenths of a pound of ammonium sulfate, that grass is green. No questions asked. 
Yeah, I, there's very few instances of people that are going to be like, yeah, I applied ammonium sulfate, and I just was not really impressed with the response I got. Uh, chances are there's some other outside factor there that would be contributing. Okay, the, pe- the people that have problems or, th- or they don't get a, a positive response from AMS, chances are those are the people that are dealing with extremely acidic soil. Mm-hmm. And the ammonium sulfate then becomes detrimental because it's further lowering their soil pH. But then for the majority of people where their soil pH is over, over six, uh, and they're also low on sulfur, AMS becomes absolutely an asset to them. You know, it becomes an asset versus urea. Now, I understand the argument for urea is, come on, that is 46 zero zero but let's dissect what's in urea and remembering my chemistry urea is simply carbon hydrogen oxygen and nitrogen that's all that's in urea and you know what's missing from that urea sulfur and sulfur is actually becoming a very important element because, you know, the EPA's Clean Air Act? I think the EPA's Clean Air Act has probably worked a little bit better than intended. Because in times past, there used to be a lot of sulfur that would come back down in rain and snow. But oh, my even. Our uh, friend uh, Travis Shaddix, uh, on one of his shows, he highlighted the fact that because of the Clean Air Act, sulfur is no longer present in precipitation because there's a rule concerning fossil fuel burning power plants and industrial facilities in that they are not allowed to emit sulfur into the atmosphere. So that source of sulfur is gone. So therefore, if you are sulfur deficient, uh, you are going to need to provide sulfur via your fertilizer program. Uh, there, there it is. Also, another name for urea, by the way, if anybody's playing around in the chemistry space, is a carbamide. Carbamide, carbamide. is another name yep. for mm-hmm. urea. Uh, you'll you'll mm-hmm. tend to pull it up more of the structure there, that molecule. Um, the auditor said, the auditor makes me nervous. Do you need <laughs> to use a starter fertilizer after aerating? I don't have my fertilizer license yet, but I mow and want to offer aerating and overseeding. No, you do not no. need to apply a starter fertilizer. Needs and wants are two totally different things. It's the same reason weeds germinate in lawns. Did you apply a starter fertilizer in order for a lawn to become a uh, property line to property line full of crabgrass? Chances are <laughs> no. Uh, uh, Ryan, what is, I, I steal this phrase from you all the time, and I use it, uh, especially when I'm talking to uh, ag guys that cannot wrap their mind around turf grass. And you refer Sister to fuckers? turf grass, especially, oh. especially compared to ag. I was going to say, I probably wouldn't. What do- kind of plant? It is a uh, uh, a uh, poverty plant. I call it a poverty a plant. Poverty plant. Yes. Yeah. And I, I love stealing plant. that from Ryan because it's such mm-hmm. 
an accurate statement. Like, need a starter fertilizer? <laughs> Hell no. How many grass was growing right. just fine on six continents before starter fertilizer came around? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just saying, can you can you eke out a little bit more performance with starter fertilizer? Assuming you need the phosphorus, chances are you can. Uh, is Maybe. it going to be the difference between your grass surviving and dying? Uh-uh. Uh, okay. any, anybody here that does lawns for a living can tell you about spilling a bag of seed, a handful of seed in the bag in the back of their truck bed and it germinating <laughs> and growing in the back of their truck bed. Okay. I also got to stop this, uh, you know, viewer in that if you're talking about a lawn that you're even aerating, you know what my guess is? This is a lawn that is also mulch mode, rough cut, and the mm-hmm. clippings mm-hmm. not taken away. So the chances of phosphorus becoming a limiting factor are slim to none. Because, guys, do you know the only time I see phosphorus issues on turf grass or in lawns is here in Hawaii where every single fucking grass clipping is picked up at every mowing. That's the only time I see phosphorus issues. But on a normally maintained lawn, no. It doesn't happen. <laughs> it's rare. Yep. I mean, it's very yeah. rare. I mean, <laughs> I would not sweat at all. And I'll get the auditor, let me, let me clue you in on another thing here. Is that you don't even have to aerate it. It's a secret. Yeah. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. They will, they will not be accepting of you. They will not invite you to the barbecue. They will ridicule you. They'll make fun of you. They'll steal your shoes in the middle of the night. But you don't even have to aerate to germinate grass. Okay. It's fascinating. Okay, auditor, auditor, guess how many times I've aerated a lawn? Zero point zero. Zero point zero. I mean, I actually I wish did I it. Say the same. I've no, I actually did it one time about twenty years ago, Matt. I did it, <laughs> and talk about a freaking shit show because it brought up cat turd-sized plugs of sticky mud that I didn't then had to rake up and remove, and even then. I don't think that process made a lick of difference to that lawn versus properly addressing pH and nutrients in that turf. And you know what that turf was? That was zoysia grass mowed at a half an inch. So it's very high-level maintenance turf. Um. There you go. And, I, and I'll, I'll tell you this, the auditor, you know, where you live is going to dictate whether or not you should, you should aerate, right? Like it is going, if you live in an area like Ryan DeMay does or where I live and you sell your lawn care program as like, hell no, I ain't aerating shit. Uh, chances are you're not going to pick up a whole lot of business, right? Because it is a cultural thing that you get out there and aerate, right? Maybe after they've been a customer for a year or two, then you can talk them down off the ledge, right? But like 
marketing yourself as like these assholes around here are jackasses and they don't know what they're doing. People will literally call you to call you a dumbass and then hang up. Uh, or kick you out of their lawn care Facebook group. Or that, that is possible too. Uh, in fact, you could, you could say much less than that as if uh, uh, you don't even need the liquid aerate. You can just uh, sow seed and it, it will grow and they will for sure ban you for that. Uh, or you could say <laughs> liquid aeration is a scam and, uh, and then they will, they will threaten you with, uh, with you um, uh, self-deleting, which was the strangest of all things. They're like, we need to get Matt out of here because we're afraid he is going to an hero. Um, it's an online joke for a word. I can't, I can't use that word on stream anyway. I, if, if y'all didn't know, that, really? is a, that is a bad word to say. Yeah. Um, and I, I'll tell the story off the air about how I learned that the hard way. Uh, anyway, does the, the next one here from Jay uh, Rimerson Jr. is, does Iver beep, uh, control dollar spot? Not that I'm aware of. Uh, if, you have, if you have intestinal worms, uh, I know it's good for that. And I'll, I, will, I will end the conversation there because I was just talking about things that will get us kicked off YouTube. And, uh, you know, that is, that is not a fight I want to fight right now about that, that drug. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you this, is that I will down the fight that that is not a drug that was designed purely for horses. That shit fucking pisses me off. Uh, Wilson yeah. Miranda said, I'm mm-hmm. applying ammonium sulfate and elemental sulfur to drop pH. It was at 8.45. Can sulfates get high enough to be harmful? If yes, would potassium nitrate and uh, uh, potassium, uh, what, is, what is KH2PO4? Potassium phosphate uh, be phosphate, a good yep. sprayable alternative yep. to, MKP, raise, to yeah. not raise SO4. Okay, so sulfates, no, are not going to be high enough to become harmful. Uh, sulfur can become harmful at a certain point. Chances are it's going to be difficult for you to reach that Wilson Miranda, especially this time of year, because uh, the re- all right, elemental sulfur is going to react with uh, uh, well the, through a process within the soil and become um, a sulfuric acid. Right, you're 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 going to pick up some hydrogen there. That's going to become sulfuric acid. Yes, sulfuric acid at certain concentrations can become toxic. Um, we have seen Aldo uh, drop the deflector shield without closing the third hole on a perimeter pass, and. Uh, and, and we're talking about probably an 8.4 level. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was high. I remember he had a super high pH. I don't remember exactly what it was. It was, it was high as hell. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so it called for a renovation and incorporating a metric shit ton of uh, elemental <laughs> sulfur in order to bring that back into check. And it, uh, it did, but it was so much at one time uh, and not enough even distribution there because the, the concentration of you know, dropping the deflector shield without closing the third hole on the edge that it actually became phytotoxic even at a later point when he was uh, trying to establish ryegrass temporarily. So, yes, that is possible. General recommendations, boys, where would y'all be at with elemental sulfur applications? How many applications a year? And at what rate for each application? Ooh, it depends. It totally depends, Matt, because I have two sets of recommendations. One set is for highly maintained and irrigated turf. The other set of recommendations is the one that everybody's more familiar with for minimally maintained non-irrigated turf. 
And Ryan, I think you know what I mean on that second, right? Because when talking about turf that's on irrigation, I'm not uncomfortable about applying five pounds per thousand square foot per month of growing season to irrigated turf. However, if we're talking about non-irrigated turf, you only can do five pounds once in spring, once in fall, and in reality, five pounds in spring and five pounds in fall ain't enough to make a difference, actually. So, which, you know, which, which one are you? Because, uh, you know, the other thing that came to mind when he was asking about sulfates, Matt? Sulfates in highly irrigated soils tend not to be toxic because sulfates are a readily leachable anion. Yep. You know, yep. water salt. Water gets rid of it so fast that the only time I can imagine sulfates becoming an issue, and I have actually seen this happen, you know, after acidifying soil, is if somebody is not irrigating enough, then the sulfates build up to the point where they become toxic. But... And if but somebody is even on a soil test, like how high would that have to be? Or he's talking like 200 parts per million, 250, 400 parts per million. 500, Matt. 500, pe- 500 ppm. Yeah, you got to go right. 500. But then, Wilson, you, know, you know, the only I, way to. You're not going to hit 500 parts per million in your lawn. Just saying. Not if you're watering. Not if you're, you know, mm-hmm. if you're watering sufficiently, because here's the other key part of addressing soil pH, and excess of calcium and magnesium and sodium. Water is your best friend. Yep. That's your best friend. Provided because it's... Well, that's, that's provided, also tricky. Go ahead. Go ahead. Water can also be your worst enemy if you are drawing that water from a well that is full of calcium and magnesium carbonate and bicarbonate then that that water becomes your frenemy but then if you're drawing from a well that is like that then your recourse is to directly acidify that irrigation water because i got a funny phone call from somebody last night matt uh they did a water quality test and uh no 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 this 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 is uh our friend uh, Zach in Ogden, Utah. Yeah, yeah, Zach. Yeah, okay. Western Zach U.S. Asked... boys had got some funny water out there. Okay, mm-hmm. Zach was asking me about suitable dosatron type injectors for handling that product called Infurit. Mm-hmm. And so, what I told Mister Zach is, if you're going to be pumping Infurit. I want you to use that special version of the dosatron that uses this polymer body called PVDF. And PVDF is another name for acid-resistant fluoropolymer versus the blue nylon-bodied 
dosatron injectors because nylon and acids tend not to play well together. Like I have seen nylon catch fire when in contact with concentrated acids. So I told Zach, uh, go look for that injector with the, not the blue body, but the opaque white body that looks almost like Teflon. There. Uh, yeah, check your, check your irrigation water. You can, chances are, if, if you're pulling from a municipality, you're, you can get a water quality report off their, off their website. If not, if you're pulling from a well, get it tested. It can, it can give you a lot of information. Uh, Eric Sands mm-hmm. said, continuing with my uh, fertilizer polymer rabbit hole, and Eric Sands was deep in the rabbit hole of uh, uh, polymer coatings today uh, in, in Dirty Deeds. Looney, that's why I was telling you to check that out, because that's why we were going over um, uh, patents in there earlier today. Uh, any good resources out there for environmental conditions affecting release rates of various release mechanisms? Here's the thing. With polymer coatings, uh, even polymerized uh, uh, nitrogen sources that are like uh, complexes, you're only going to get you know two factors that affect it: soil moisture content and temperature. That's it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else, right? You you know you've got the microbial activity piece on like urea form or nitroform or methylene urea, um, uh, tri- urea triazone. But again, if, if it's microbial, microbially mineralized, that's still a function of soil temperature and moisture, right? So you're not going to get away from it really beyond that. Maybe Osmocote would be the only other thing, but Osmocote is a damn uh, nursery fertilizer that you're not, you're not typically going to apply to lawns. But even then, I still think you're relying on diffusion. And uh, it would be a function of time's up. It's over. Moisture levels. That's it for the questions we're taking in. But we still have a shitload to answer. Yes. Yeah, because uh, the you know like the polyon or the polyol coat type fertilizers, Matt. Those all rely on what I tried to explain to Eric is osmotic diffusion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know the urea diffuses through that coating and do you know what is driving the rate of osmotic diffusion in that case temperature the warmer it is the more osmotic pressure is uh, achieved and the faster that urea pumps back out of that coating back into the soil so having said that Uh That means that in real-life conditions, most polymer coat-type fertilizers, as is used in turf care, at best, you can coat them to last 45 days. At best. Uh, I'd say you can get away longer than that. Yeah, I think so, too. Maybe not in Hawaii. But if you're if you're, 45 if you're days in Hawaii, yeah, in Hawaii that. that's going to be tough. Yeah, uh, forty-five days in in you know where I live in the spring, Sheboygan. totally doable. Um, in 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 uh, uh, Canada, Ohio, where uh, Demay lives, 
is, you know, yeah, you could probably, you could probably get 360 days up there. Uh, I tease. J-Pink, if you can zoom in on this picture, uh, this is what's left over after the diffusion, osmotic diffusion that we were talking about, right? So this mm-hmm. is a fertilizer granule that um, was polymer coated and all of the water made its way in, dissolved the urea and then made its way back out. And you're left with this deflated balloon looking spent pea here of sorts. Um, yeah, it's just a shell. It's just a, a, yep. a plastic uh, shell. And uh, another question that I got is, and this is something I'm thinking about, is, okay, what happens to this plastic? And, you know, my only conclusion is, guess what, guys? Nothing. No, this plastic becomes part of the stew of microplastics in our environment. There's a thought for you. There's a thought for you all because this plastic is literally like a polyurethane type material that further breaks down into smaller particles in time. And, and this so, is this lovely. is Harold's, and so this actually is more akin to a polyurethane uh, that that you're seeing right here. That that kind of granule. Um, yep. Yeah. And that <laughs> if if your concern is it biodegrade, look, there are they people are rapidly working on figuring out the biodegradable uh, control release fertilizer thing via polymer coating. and it is a slow grind uh, to try and get the same levels of efficacy. Now, that being said, IBDU, uh, nitroform, uh, methylene urea, triazone urea, all of those are going to be microbially mineralized. The caveat to that is, is that they typically don't provide the same peak of color response. That, of course, can be solved with a little bit of a, a foliar application at a later date to bring you up to peak, right? Um, but, but for whatever reason, that rate of release is just so, uh, squirrely of sorts that you just, you don't, any kind of color response, um, uh, chart that you look at with trizone urea, methylene urea, all of them, uh, nitroform, you just, you don't get that same gradient upward of color response. Uh, it's a much slower, softer trajectory that you end up seeing. And so, um, you know, it may require you to get out there and give it just a little bit of a bump to get it up to your color peak. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, let your, uh, your, uh, your, your polymerized urea continue from, from that peak of that point forward. If that makes sense. I guess that makes sense. Kind of. Yeah, it's good. (laughs) Yeah, it'll work. Michael Pedroza says lawn is killed off for fall renovation in two weeks. I'm finding lots of vole or gopher activity. Walking on the lawn feels like fluffy pillows. Any idea for treatment and prevention? I, you know, everybody's going to tell you that you got grub worms, right? You know, here's the thing is that before you go making grub applications, scout first, do a little digging. Are you finding seven grubs per square foot type of density that would warrant making that kind of application? No. Okay. Here's the thing is that guess what? Uh, grub worms are not the only subsurface insects that these animals eat. It could be earthworms. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be yep. crickets. Uh, it could any kind of subsurface, subterranean, temporary or not, 
uh, the Arthropod they'll... at the surface. Yep. They're yep, going to eat it all. Yeah. yeah. Anything. And, and so... <laughs> what, what would you do, Ray? What I would do is instead of thinking that I'm going to impose insect Chernobyl, if I had animals digging around in the lawn, I'd be looking to that mix of uh, ghost chilies, mustard, and black pepper instead. You know, I mean, I'd be, I'd be going there. There's talprid uh, that you can use as well, too, which is a bait. Uh, just be careful with that, because remember, if it's designed to kill a mammal, we are mammals, your house pets are mammals. It's, it's not something you approach lightly, right? There needs to be a strategy at play. Uh, PPE needs to be followed. Um, there's very specific instruction labels on how to handle the material in order to minimize Actually, scent that gets transferred over to it. It's a thing. I got another precaution. Right? No, I got another precaution should somebody contemplate applying Telprid, Matt. And you know what that is? What's that? You got, you got to make fucking sure that the family cat or the family dog does not find an animal poisoned by that Telprid bait. I mean, you got to just make yep. sure because, you know, Telprid, that's an example of the last anticoagulant baits that I know of that are registered and allowed for application in residential areas. Because EPA made a big deal about restricting and limiting use of anticoagulant rodent baits in residential areas because of this secondary poisoning of uh, the family dog and cat. So. Just be careful with that. And me personally, that is why I'm really reluctant to go to poison baits for, you know, undesired rodents. I'm really reluctant. Definitely something to keep in the back of your head. That is, uh, that is nothing to play around with. Uh, Sean said, when I first established parts of my line, I made the mistake of watering too frequently once established and have shallow roots. Is this something I can fix with proper watering? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just withhold the water from it. Let it get to that point where you're starting to see it needle. It won't. And then, you know, introduce, reintroduce your water. Let it get to that point where it starts. It is, it will correct really easily. It's correctable. Uh, it, it's easily correct. Ryan, I'll, I'll ask you because you live in an aeration season. Is this one of those instances where you'd go, rent an aerator for a weekend and plug a bunch of holes in it or would you just scale back the water what would be your approach uh just scale back the water first it's easier to control easier to have a good result and uh vet that out first if you have even have a need to aerify my, would my you day. would you go get a bunch of um uh as azomite what what is the what is the Ecolite? What is the shit I'm thinking of? No, uh, as a Azimite. oh, it's a damn. Is it azomite? Zeolite. 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 Would you would you go yeah. get a bunch of zeolite and apply that? What about some green sand? 
Maybe like oh, a uh, uh, maybe like a calcine clay or porous ceramic, perhaps. I mean, turfies, 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 yeah, turfies, yeah, turfies. Turfies. Would you yeah. would you bury it in um, uh, carbon pro G? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I guess uh, you know, get on. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what are we number six in Bulgaria, right? Yeah, well, that was until we got we got canceled. I think we may have been up to number two. I'm gonna pretend like we were at number two. Yeah, I mean, just, just get an account on. Uh, we were at number two, dude. OnlyFans or Chatterbait Bulgaria, and you know, make as much money as I can so I can afford all that goddamn Carbon Pro G, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bulgarian OnlyFans brought to you live here on the Grass Factor. Listen, those um, chicks would dig guys like you and me, big, strapping, hairy men. Give me a bottle of Stoli. We're we'll fit the part. We can we can play. <laughs> Ray. Thing, Ryan, I, eh. Yeah, it, it, it's okay. It's okay. But then what you know it? you know me. I won't I won't stop trying for my Eastern European sugar mama either. Because look at ladies. I love my sauerkraut and sausage and potatoes. Okay, I'm one of those guys. Right. <laughs> so there, right. Ray needs a, uh, oh my God, he needs a lady from Poland. And Ray, do I have the single lady for you? Another one of Asami's friends. My goodness. I, I don't know. Figure <laughs> out. We're just waiting on you to move here, Ray. I'm telling you. you t- we talked about this offline. I'm telling you, dude. So, Asami, Asami is, uh, is the queen of matchmaking. Matchmaker. Um, <laughs> John, John P. said, why do I have all the goddamn chinch bugs? Great question. I wish I knew the answer. John, uh, it was John in uh, like Rhode Island. He's up Mass- north. Connecticut. Connect four. Yeah, John Lushy and uh, and Brent. Brent. I mean, they're having yeah. yeah they're they're having chinch bug nightmares because uh, the other day I was talking to uh, Lushy and honestly, he's uh, warming up to the idea of. Running down these chinchbug lawns with what's that? Merit, uh, dialogues, and permethrin. <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> Damn. Because I guess the chinchbug is that terrible. And imagine this now, Matt. A year ago, Lushy thought I was being extra, combining dialogues and merit together and sending that. He thought I was being nuts, <laughs> but yeah. you will do that when you when you have terrible chinch bug that will become that will go on the table, right? I, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> when when uh when when required, then sometimes you got to. Uh, Tony Bender is uh, he is still drinking since last Thursday. I'm just assuming <laughs> based on his last name there. I, I completely made it up, Tony. I I doubt you're on a bender. It was it was a poor joke. I apologize. Spinos turf. Surfactants uh, is the O2YS natural adjuvant versus a standard 9010. Uh, should you buffer pH with a 9010 to five or below to enhance uptake of foliar applications? Here's the thing: is that O2YS is going to be a, a uh, it is a natural adjuvant that is derived from yucca. I do I do believe, mm-hmm. which is yep. a a very effective surfactant. There, without a doubt, uh, saponin contents great surfactants. 
Uh, and then what they recommend is buffering the pH down. Here's the thing is that 99% of the time, buffering your pH, whether you're using a surfactant or not, is going to be beneficial. Okay. Um, you, you ha- I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee. If I pull a, a, a glass of water out of my sink right now and do a pH test on it, I'm probably a TDS of like 160. And uh, uh, the, the pH is going to be somewhere between a 7, 7 and an 8. Right. So uh, I, in that instance, if I'm mixing an herbicide in that tank mix um, with or without a surfactant, I should be using a surfactant. I want to make that clear. I should be using one. Uh, but regardless, at the bare minimum, I should be modifying the pH of that tank. Now, do you, do you have to get tricky with it? Chances are you can throw some ammonium sulfate in it. That's going to be an adequate buffer. Um, uh, you're not going to get it to five or below with ammonium sulfate. There's other things out there that you can do to it. There's a whole litany of different things. Um, Here's the uh, thing about uh, buffering pH, Matt, that you got to keep in mind is that once you get your pH below five, conversely, terrible things can happen because then your molecule may be subject to this phenomenon called Acid hydrolysis, yep. rather than alkaline hydrolysis. So alkaline hydrolysis you know, is bad. Acid hydrolysis is bad. And, and so that is why you know when you said ammonium sulfate, or even ammonium phosphate, I'm a fan of those kind of buffers because no matter what you do with them, the ceiling at five five, right, Matt? They, that's their. That's where they stop. And so there's no chance that you're going to create a condition where you acid hydrolyze your herbicide or your fungicide. However, you know, this whole deal about buffering tank mixes, it also depends on what you're actually applying, because I can think of a specific incident instance where you don't want to acidify your tank mix. I can think of a very specific instance where you don't do it. Uh, Trifloxysulfuron, halosulfuron, enazosulfuron, sulfosulfuron, metsulfuron, all of and certainty, and Celsius and Revolver. Yeah, all those all those herbicides are all those herbicides. Sorry, are known as sulfonylurea herbicides, and in most cases, if you look at that labeling. It'll say, avoid combining with acid-forming materials. Don't do it. And the reason why you don't do it is because sulfonylurea herbicides, number one, they're subject to acid hydrolysis. And that acid hydrolysis happens at, you know, six even. Second issue is that sulfonylurea herbicides what will happen is that in an acidic solution, the active ingredient is far less soluble in the water that is used to make up the tank mix. And then when it's less soluble in the water, that then inhibits uptake and absorption of that sulfonylurea by the weed. So you're basically compromising your weed control. So be super careful about putting in acidic 
material Swisser tank mix, read your label before you do it. Read your label. A novel that's, idea. That's my best advice. Yeah. Read, read your label first. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, <laughs> next one here, we have Lawn Radiance, who said uh, these cooler late summer fall days with temps that are dropping at 19 to the 50s and 40s. Bermuda's Bermuda's producing seed heads. Uh, is this a decrease of daylight and cooler temps? You got to think it's a plant. It's beginning to shut down. What what do things do? Uh, you know, it was kind of a, a last effort, last ditch effort of of freaking out. So, well, I want to I want to reproduce, right? And uh, and so throwing off seed heads as a physiological response to uh, uh, detecting that things are happening that is abnormal is normal um and then of course you know spring you get you get increased sunlight exposure everybody's excited you know what happens to all the animals when uh they are in nature and you get begin getting longer daylight hours what what is what is that they they, be, they begin to he, go into heat and mate right it's funny what happens to uh to the uh, biology whether whether it be plant or human in response to sunlight exposure right uh, one is going to be a signal to mate and reproduce. The other one is going to be a last-ditch effort to try to survive and reproduce, right? So, uh, yeah, totally normal. You're going to be okay. Uh, Jason Smurfin trailer, our, uh, our big, bald-headed, red-bearded bastard of Texas. Uh, is it, yeah. You have way too much hair, uh, Demay. I'll tell you that. I would give you that title, but you have way too much hair. Uh, trailer, trailer has exactly 0. 0.0 on the top of his head. I think oh, I'm boy. going to be there faster than you will too, Demay. So uh, I don't know. We're we're in the we're in the race for it. I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm getting there. If it, you can see you can see my scalp pretty good underneath what what is remaining. It is what it is. I digress. Um, what is the best time? The best time is going to be the furthest time from your last uh, fertilizer application. So for you, you know, winter, February time frame, you haven't applied fertilizer for a long time. You're as depleted as you're going to be uh, before you start growing again. That is a great time to do it because that's actually giving you as close to a baseline of your actual what resides in your soil nutrient levels that you could possibly have. Uh, don't, don't order a soil savvy kit. Don't order uh, one of those. Uh, what is what is the other one? A soil. My soil. My, my soil. soil. Yeah. Don't yeah. do that. And I trailer. I know you know this, but uh, you know, get a real a real test done. Um, you know, Tamu does does good tests down there in uh, in Texas, and uh, yeah, yeah, it'll give you give you some some good data, uh, but not the not the ion exchange resin. Uh, how much does a septic tank change your fertilizer program? Man, if you have your leach field marked to a T and you can somehow manage to keep your leach field from receiving fertilizer, great. The world is your oyster. You are an incredible human being for being able to figure that out. If you don't have it marked at all times and you can't keep fertilizer off of it, then yeah, you might have some dark green spots at certain times of year. You may even have burned up grass at other times of the year. It's just kind of the nature of having a, a, a drain field and uh, and a septic tank. I don't really think there's going to be a whole lot you can do. Again, if you can keep the fertilizer off of it, great because you're going to be pumping a lot of ammonia and shit out of out of your out of your drain field. Just the nature of it. 
if you can if you can mitigate that by keeping it off great if not great um <laughs> good luck with that by the way I feel like every time I have an idea of where my drain field is, I find out there's actually more more of it than what I thought. Um, <laughs> or you can block it off and just let your septic tank back up and create a whole host of problems indoors for you. Uh, had that happen at my old house. Uh, Eric Sands, is solubility important for plant availability? How likely is there some loss to reacting with something else and making it unavailable? And this is why pH is important. Yes, yes, and yes. To an extent, yes. right? Again, we talked about uh, turf grass being a poverty plant. What's great about turf grass as compared to some uh, uh, like crops, you know, traditional crop production to so vegetables, right, is that the we we get to take advantage of uh, root exudates. And we uh, uh, turf grasses typically have very active root exudates, right? Meaning that if insoluble compounds do form, say like, Phosphorus that you apply reacts with calcium in your soil and produces an insoluble calcium phosphate. Technically, that phosphate is insoluble, unplant available at that point. However, uh, because we do have root exudates, and this is going to be acids, organic acids that are emitted by the tips of adventitious roots um, in uh, exchange for uh, the, the solubilizing of that uh, calcium phosphate molecule into a usable soluble form of phosphorus. So the only time that I would say that it's like significantly important in this regard, uh, Eric Sands would be like, if you are applying iron to elicit as much of a color response as possible, you want that iron soluble. Um, but you can also apply it foliarly to get it into the plant and not worry so much about the interaction that happens in the soil because the majority of the response you're going to get is a, a, pro, a byproduct of what gets absorbed through the uh, through the leaf tissue, right? Um, so this unavailable thing that you hear a lot on the YouTube and internet forums and all that shit when it comes to turf grass specifically is on a scale of one to bullshit off the fucking charts on bullshit, right? Now, it's total, again, it's total crap. Yeah. If you think you're going to elicit a blue-green yard by applying iron oxide to your grass and your soil pH is 7.2, then that is off the charts on the bullshit scale, right? Iron sucrate, mm -hmm. iron uh, humate, iron phosphate, you name it. If it's an insoluble iron source and you think you're going to turn grass blue, you're, you, you're literally lying to yourself. Don't do it. Um, but if you're applying phosphorus or... Uh, potassium that becomes insoluble for whatever reason should you panic and and freak out that you lost that nutrient no the grass is going to find a way to take it up and you know what's going to be the primary driver of root exudation applying nitrogen so you apply nitrogen it's amazing the plant literally takes care of the rest through the uh the, the relationship between the root system and the soil to unsolubilize that and make it make it go back up I can, th I can think of something even more important than nitrogen, Matt. Hmm. I can think of, I can think of something even more important. Water. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Water, yeah, 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 yeah. water is the... Water, you know, sunlight, fact, nitrogen. And, yeah, water, sunlight, and nutrients, you know, in that order. And why did you have sufficient water? I've seen grass literally 
mine all available NP and K out of the soil. I've seen grass do that. And so you're thinking, oh, but this soil is terrible. It's compacted. It doesn't have 5% organic matter. It doesn't have this. It doesn't have this. Don't worry about it because grass is what's called a poverty plant. And the only time I ever become concerned about what is or is not in soil is when nutrients become so deficient that even the turf grass stops growing and the only thing that's actually growing are the weeds. Then I become concerned. And Matt and Ryan, here in Hawaii, I literally see instances where the soil is so stripped and depleted, the only thing that, that grows are the weeds that have bigger roots than the turf grass. I have seen that happen. So <laughs> it's uh, not that far-fetched. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Go ahead. Go, go ahead, Demay. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you no, off. No, 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 no. You go ahead. Go, go ahead. Screen. You're good. No, you go ahead. No, I've just, I've seen that situation play out. And, uh, you know, over for, especially an establishment where people either hold back too much or push too much. We just did our whole gobbler on uh homeboy that was putting mega huge drop in mega loads or whatever on his lawn. And uh, mm -hmm. I don't know. I just think that, mm -hmm. uh, Finding that sweet spot, I think we we all can do better. And uh, anyway, go on. <laughs> uh, Dylan Miller said, "Home lawn. How long after a rye overseed would you wait to reseed? So it's going to be you know think like Bermuda overseeding, right? Warm warm season, uh, warm season area. How long would you wait to reseed? After about three days, we received a three inch rainfall and definitely displaced some seed. Um, what did you say? <laughs> I I mean, two weeks." I'd say in two weeks, you're going to have a pretty good grasp as far as what's going on. And then mm -hmm. you're good to go at that yeah. point. Yeah. Two, mm -hmm. two, three weeks. Yeah. Uh, what's going to come up, come up. <laughs> Dylan said, I'm starting to see some seed pop now, but I know I need to put them more out. Yeah. G give it two weeks just to, just to CYA and then you'll be good to go. Uh, and here, here's the other thing. When you're, when you're, look, I have overseeded baseball fields 25, 30, Maybe 50 pounds per thousand. Jesus. I'm not going to lie. It's sexy. <laughs> I haven't gone as high as 50. Maybe in some areas got an accidental 50, but boy, was it smoking. <laughs> Good looking. Uh, we're trying to limit POA spread, mulch, or bag clippings. Doesn't matter. I mean, Andy, you can try and bag it. Good luck. Uh, Battle of attrition, you, dude. You're in loose. <laughs> That's just the way it goes. If, you, you know, if you you're going with an auric. Here's okay. Here's something that frequently comes up. Yeah, here's what frequently comes up in my area, and this makes me want to throw things. And that is when people start yammering Don't do it, man. about, oh, you need to bag clippings because of the weeds. Bull fucking shit. Do you know what you need to do if you have weeds? You know what you need to do if you have weeds? Put down an effective your house pre emergent. 
you know, put down an effective pre-emergent. And in the case of something like POA, fall is literally the time to attack that POA. Because you know what fall is time for in a cool season turf with POA? Ethofumisate. Yep. And you're going to have, and, yeah. and I, that's the other thing too, I want people to understand this with ethofumisate is that the likelihood that you're going to cause injury to your desirable turf is moderate to high. The likelihood mm-hmm. that you're going to completely eradicate POA is extremely low. The idea what? is is that you weaken, now, yeah, you weaken that POA to, to a point that your desirable grasses will all compete and you will bang up that that POA you know pretty good but it is not a a, a fail safe it's not a foolproof plan and uh yeah gotta manage expectations no silver bullet except if you can get pill cure and you're on a golf course then it's well and pretty darn good barring that barring that though you know if we're talking about poa uh i said i would not be fussing about picking up clippings instead i'd be looking at Fall progress and then spring progress to pick up whatever has overwintered and attempted to reemerge in the spring. Because you go look at that product labeling, it calls for a fall followed by a spring application when you're on a poor reduction program. It's not a one and done type of a deal. And you do, you know, your fall, then your spring, and you know what else is beautiful about ethofumisate? It's also a good pre-emergent for crabgrass, That's certain true. broadleaf weeds, and nutsedge. So you're getting more than just poa control out of it. So it's doing a lot for you. So that's something to explore and consider. You know, if you have poa that's at the level that is causing you anxiety. <laughs> Uh, Johnny Fescue said, is there any justification to polycoat potassium when applying polyon in app in spring Would the coated K stick around until soil temps, let it out. Never tried it in a, a residential lawn setting. You couldn't, Why? I don't think there is Why? a justification for that ever. That makes sense. Unless your residential lawn is literally made up of sand and, and like 24 inches of sand. I, and even, and even if it's that, made up sand, even then, even if it's made out of sand. Yeah, mm. even if it's made out of sand, though, what's going to happen is that, you know, once you get grass growing on that sand, the roots themselves make up a substrate that has a very high cation exchange capacity because of the organic matter that the root creates. So that's going to stop a lot of that leaching through, and that's going to become a reservoir for nutrients because, you know, guys, I have toyed with this idea for people that don't want to do regular fertilizer applications. You know what that idea was? Imagine applying three or four pounds of N as the 180-day Osmocote. And you know what Osmocote is? One, one, one where the N, the P, and the K is all in that polyurethane shell. Yep. I mean. 
talk about an expensive fertilizer application because the last time I looked, Osmocote runs about £140, $150 a bag where I'm at. That's one fifty pound bag. Yeah, ain't cheap, Ryan. <laughs> stuff yeah, it's, ain't it's cheap. It's insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chuck Benzing said pH down with calcium sulfate too. Uh, I, what? Are you asking? Will pH go down with calcium sulfate? Uh, because no, it it will not. No, um, no. calcium sulfate plus H two O. No. You're gonna you're gonna break into calcium and sulfate ions on that, and no, you're not you're not gonna drop pH with calcium sulfate. Uh, again, sulfate is not an acidifier. Sulfur is the acidifier. Round up organic. What's up, big dog? What's up? Hope everyone is doing well. I have a tall fescue Kentucky bluegrass mix. What do you think of adding perennial rye to it? Bad idea. And in Middle Tennessee, I would urge you to not do that. Um, it's not to say that with one of these newer varieties that you can get away with it, especially if it's irrigated for sure. Um, but, but I, I personally wouldn't do it, but I don't, if you've got an area where you can test it first, I would recommend doing that. Test it somewhere before you put it into a, uh, a, cu- a customer's lawn. Uh, and then, you know, mm-hmm. if you see some, some success with it, then by all means, you know, good, good to go. But, uh, yeah, on that, in that regard, I, I, I would definitely test it first. I just don't think it's a great idea here. Again, that July timeframe rolls around. It's, it's, man, it's going to get squirrely. Uh, what precipitation rate would you decide to shut down overseed tall turf type tall fescue, potentially two inch accumulation over an entire day, midnight to midnight? CEC is two and a half to four and a half and back eight and a half front on a slope. I don't. What precipitation oh. rate? I don't. I don't understand. Rainfall, Matt. Rainfall, Matt. Rainfall. Oh. He's asking about rainfall, and here's what I here's what I can say about two inches over twenty four hours. It depends on if that two inches is going to fall in like a half an hour, like how it often does in Hawaii, uh-huh. or if it actually is going to be two inches over an entire 24-hour period evenly, because if we're talking about a turd floater, don't do it. But if we're talking about a steady, gentle rain, you're fine. You're good. It's just be aware of what I call flash flood conditions. because. I am all too familiar with flash flood conditions. Don't rain for six months, and then all of a sudden we get five inches in in an hour. <laughs> five inches in an hour is actually the chapter uh, in Sheila's autobiography when she moved to Hawaii. <laughs> I didn't tell you that. <laughs> uh, problem is, is the ray was only halfway in. <laughs> yeah. um okay uh we have uh don m said cool season lawn doesn't stay green for long after applying fert what should i look for man if you're not applying if if you're not saying green long after applying a fert what should you look for first i'm gonna say check your check your soil ph that would probably be the quickest way to uh to cause problems there um 
nitrogen rates too can be a thing. Uh, you know, are you applying adequate nitrogen? Is it one of those things that, you know, it's calling for, uh, you know, a half a pound of nitrogen, but you're applying a half pound of product, right? So that, that could be something to keep in mind. If you're looking at a soil test, is it a Wicked genuine, shake. uh, uh, who, who is, is fucking around with this? Is that, is that Spencer? Do I need to kill him? Okay. No, no. <laughs> That's a joke. Sands. Um, is it Eric Sands? A, a what floater? A what floater? Yeah, uh, I, I, I messed up. Oh, uh, it, again, check your sulfur levels too. So you know, looking looking at a soil test, if you're not responding to nitrogen, is that is, according to Travis Shaddix, that would generate a uh, an immediate prompt for pulling a soil test, right? Um, mm -hmm. So again, yeah, I, I would you know pH, nitrogen levels, sulfur, sulfur level. levels are, are going to be the yep. big things. Now, if mm -hmm. all of those come out to be fine, then bad news for you. It's your cultivar you have you have a shit cultivar uh and that wow. that happens sometimes our good friend up in massachusetts our attorney at large uh sir <laughs> uh, uh jesse bousquet knows all about having shits cultivars right and it's a thing so you know uh rest in rest in peace if you if you have to go that route Brian said, just did a reno. Wait, no, I skipped Phoenix. Phoenix on care said, what happens to you if you're a high pH of 7.12 and high on sulfur at 16.29? Uh, 16.29 of sulfur is not high. That's low. Uh, uh, you yeah, know what 16.29 sounds like, Matt? That sounds huh. like the scale that my soil. Oh, my soil test. Yep. Yeah. And it's like, you know what? Take whatever numbers my soil gives. And use that for toilet paper. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's good for. Use it for toilet paper. And I can talk about that my soil test because, you know, our friend on Long Island got some wildly off soil test result from my soil. And so it's not like I'm making this up or picking on them. Their soil test results are not accurate. <laughs> yep. Uh, if, and if you are, Phoenix, shoot, shoot that. If you're using a soil test, I would just disregard that. that there's, yeah. there's no of reality of 16.29 parts per million of sulfur and think that's good. That's high. Never in a million years would that ever be the case. Uh, yep. Brian did a reno in 6,000 square foot seeing germination after five days, doing a plan that calls for next application 21 days after germination. Do I start counting now or wait till it all germinates? <laughs> well, look, I, you're, you're splitting hairs in my opinion. Uh, what's, what's Ray say? What's Ray say? Grass doesn't have a fucking calendar. It's yeah, grass crap. doesn't have a damn calendar. So, you know what? If you think you need statement. to feed Feed it, because you see, grass gives zero fucks about what time of day it is or what date it is. Grass don't care. What grass does care you know about oh, go ahead. are the temperatures and moisture levels in your individual microclimate or area. So if the grass looks like it's growing and you think it needs fertilizer 21 days from now, you're probably not wrong. Because do you know what I've seen people nest themselves up on horribly? 
when they get fixed on dates. And then that date causes them to make bad decisions. So if grass doesn't have a calendar and the other axiom that you need to remember today is that goat ranch golf courses and true green, the cash register doesn't care if it's raining, boys and girls. So get out there, hit that sales goal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you check the show before the show i got all kinds of stories about that uh i think <laughs> we have come to the end of it um we are not going to be able to do an after show tonight but we'll see we'll see what ends up shaking out over the next little bit um if you have any uh questions I, I, check it out patreon.com forward slash burner return especially if you're if you're a, a lawn care operator and and you, you you're in the field you got questions you want somewhere to go to that's going to give you some information that is not going to correlate with if you buy my shit uh, is the only way to get green grass, then uh, we, <laughs> we would be a good resource for you. Again, patreon.com forward slash burn return. I think you can get in for like four bucks a month, five bucks a month, something like that. It's it's, it's stupid cheap uh, for uh, for uh, access to, to not just us, but the community at large of, uh, of people that are uniquely, incredibly interested in uh, learning more and uh, and that is from the most active of members to the non-activist of members uh, without a doubt top to bottom every member wants to learn and, uh, and then and that includes us they always said that if there was a day that goes by that I didn't learn something new in this industry I would leave and uh, and that still stands every day that passes I learn something new and that's my infatuation with it we want to share that with you as well too patreon.com return. other than that we're headed out. We've got life shit to do tomorrow. My son turns eleven, and uh, and yeah, we're we're gonna have we're gonna have a big time. Love y'all. Bye.